0: Howdy, and welcome to Wise About Texas, the Texas History Podcast. I want to thank you for tuning in today for another story from Texas's great history. This episode is being released in August of 2017, and man, is it hot down here in Texas. But, you know, in August, when is it not hot in Texas? I hope that your summer has gone well. I know the kids are not ready to get back to school, but as a parent of a middle schooler and a late elementary schooler, uh, Some of you parents may be ready for the kids to go back to school. Uh, It's been a busy summer in the Wise About Texas World headquarters. Um, I've got some great ideas for some new episodes, and I'm going to ramp back up on the production schedule. It's been a busy summer. We've had a couple of trips. I talked about the road trip that the family took, uh, a 2,100-mile road trip, and uh, that sort of put the hammer on the production schedule. But... um, I went ahead, and 2100 wasn't enough, so I took another 2300-mile road trip driving from California to Texas, and I may may have run a little side errand in Colorado, but the part of Colorado that we drove through was part of the original Republic of Texas, so uh, I occasionally still claim that area for Texas. Sure are a lot of Texans up there anyway. Well, we came back uh, from that road trip through Amarillo, and of course did a very Texan thing and stopped at the big Texan Steak Ranch and had a meal and as we were headed from Amarillo uh, back home we passed by a town that has an interesting history and got to talking about it in the car and I thought I might talk about today the um, guy that founded that panhandle town and a little bit about the town and how the old boom towns were built. So let's go back to the 1920s and get wise about Texas. We're going to start by talking about this individual that founded the town. His name was Asa Borger, and Asa spelled A-S-A, and I pronounce it Asa because his nickname was Ace, and uh, he's noted in some sources as a town builder. He was actually born in Missouri, and uh, his father died young, and he was raised by his mother and his grandmothers. He attended school in Missouri. He actually graduated from college. Uh, He got married and had three kids. Uh, About 1915, uh, he got into the real estate business. He had been in the lumber business, but he got into the real estate business with his younger brother named Pete Borger, and they sold real estate around a mining town in Oklahoma, a town called Pitcher, P-I-C-H-E-R, Oklahoma, and uh, there were some lead mines and zinc mines there. And he must have picked up the real estate business pretty quick because he went on to found an oil town uh, near Bristow, Oklahoma. That oil town, appropriately enough, was called Slick, Oklahoma. And um, he must have learned how to build those boom towns because he launched another one, uh, Cromwell, Oklahoma. Now let me tell you a little bit about Cromwell, Oklahoma to give you a flavor of the kind of towns Ace Borger was starting to build. Cromwell wasn't actually a town that they founded. It was a town that existed but was not doing very well. And oil had been discovered near the town. And so Ace and Pete got the idea to go into Cromwell and fire it back up. Well the residents of Cromwell certainly were happy to see them and happy to see the prosperity their town was surely about to enjoy. Well thousands of people came to Cromwell when the Borgers announced what they were doing. Unfortunately, uh, it was not thousands of good, decent, hard-working folk, but uh, thousands of people seeking their fortune. Now, most of the people, I'm sure, were there for the right reasons, but there was a big collection of bootleggers and moonshiners and, uh, let's say, um, ladies of the evening and uh, plenty of gamblers. And Cromwell was later described, not, not long after the Burgers got there, as the most wicked city in the world. So the inhabitants of Cromwell decided that uh, this was not all that it's cracked up to be. They actually got uh, an old gunfighter, an old law enforcement uh, man named Bill Tillman, who has his own great stories from Old West lore. Tillman had been city marshal in Dodge City and was well known. He came out of retirement to help. Um, Cromwell, but uh, that didn't work out very well because about a year after he got there, uh, he was shot to death, and he he was actually shot to death by a crooked Prohibition agent, or at least that's the story. So um, Tillman, of course, was famous and well-liked, so all of his friends, or not all of his friends, but many of his friends got together and uh, got a little revenge for Tillman's murder in Cromwell by burning down every meaningful building in the city. Uh, so that's the, uh, sort of situation that the Borgers had created in Cromwell, Oklahoma. Well, uh, they needed something else to do after Cromwell was burned to the ground and they didn't, Ace Borgers didn't have to look far to find out where to go next. All he had to look to was the panhandle of Texas in the early twenties because oil was being discovered there and Borger felt like that was the next frontier, he also learned his lesson with Cromwell because uh, he wasn't going to give anybody the opportunity to dislike the way he did business. So he was just going to start a town from the ground up, just as, uh, just as slick Oklahoma had been done. So Borger went over and uh, paid a rancher for 240 acres just northeast of Amarillo. And uh, he paid $12,000 for that. And he started a company called the Borger Townside Company. He advertised in the newspapers in Amarillo and uh, some of the small town papers around. He laid out some streets, surveyed some lots, and uh, went into business. Well, when he opened that town, he sold $60,000 worth of land in one day. By the way, this is 1926. $60,000 in 1926 is over $800,000 today. So he made quite the killing, pun intended, on day one. And in six months or so, uh, the Borger Townside Company had made a million dollars. That's a million dollars, 1926 money. Now if you read the stories of old Borger, uh, some sources say that it took only 90 days Uh, after the town was founded, for over 45,000 people to have moved to Borger. Now, that sounds crazy, but uh, that's probably not out of line with many of the other boom towns, certainly not with the way Cromwell had developed. And uh, 45,000 people back in 1926 would have been a fairly large city. Now, as I mentioned earlier, Borger had learned his lesson in Cromwell, and he wasn't about to let anyone run the town but him, and the people he handpicked, And uh, one of the people, one of his co-shareholders in the Borger Townsite Company was a man named John Miller. Now, John Miller was Borger's buddy from the Oklahoma days. He had been with him in Cromwell, and so Borger decided that he would make John Miller the mayor. Now, there was an election, but as you might imagine, uh, Borger ran the election, so John Miller was elected the mayor of Borger, Texas. The border uh, also established uh, the businesses necessary to build this town. He set up a lumber yard, a business he was familiar with. He also opened a bank. And one year later, in 1927, he did something that was very interesting. He started two other towns in the area. Uh, he got affiliated with a man named Albert Stennett. And he established, along with Mr. Stennett, the towns of Stennett and Groover. These were towns very close to Borger. Now, before we explore why he might have done that, let me tell you a little bit about Albert Stennett. Stennett's full name was Albert Sidney Stennett, named, of course, for Albert Sidney Johnston, the subject of one of my earlier episodes. Uh, Mr. Stinnett had three children with his wife, Cornelia. He moved uh, from Fort Worth to Amarillo in the early 1900s, And he was one of the first individuals in the Panhandle, in the Plains area, to start the cottonseed oil business and the cottonseed cake business. And he operated a seed and grain distributing agency. Uh, Now, those are plentiful around that area if you're anywhere in the South Plains or in the Panhandle. And he can be fairly said to be one of the pioneers of that industry. He was a big booster for the Panhandle area. He was um, president of the Panhandle Plains Chamber of Commerce. Uh, He was very involved in city affairs in Amarillo. He helped bring railroads, much-needed railroads, to the area to help the farmers get their products to market. He was very involved in uh, a dam project for the Canadian River that he felt would help irrigate the land in the area. In other words, he was a very active, engaged, successful, and by all accounts upstanding citizen of the area and this was the person that Borger chose to associate himself with and I would say wisely because uh, just like you you can be guilty by association with people that are not so desirable uh, perhaps associating with someone of such sterling reputation might help Borger get done what he needed done. Well here's the interesting part Borger insisted that the town of Stenet be the county seat. Now, I wonder why he would do that. Well, I think that uh, that might keep the most of the authorities out of Borger, and it would certainly improve the reputation of the area, and maybe to keep the focus a little bit north of Borger's namesake town. Now, that's just my speculation, and you can form your own conclusion as we learn a little more about Borger. Now, I mentioned John Miller had been named the mayor, and I also mentioned that in six months, Borger had made a million dollars selling all the real estate of his new town. All the real estate. He had sold it out for a million dollars. Well, who had moved to Borger? Well, just like all the baboom towns seem to be, uh, it was filled with uh, certainly oil men, established oil men, and, and wildcatters, the guys necessary to work the rigs, but also the requisite number of soiled doves, as well as card sharps, gamblers, people to sell whiskey and dope to the gamblers and the soiled doves. And in that six months, maybe a little longer, Borger's nickname was Boogertown. And uh, it was already known as a haven for... Uh, criminals, and perhaps fugitives. Now, border at this time was way up in a very, very unsettled area of Texas. Even though this was 1926, uh, the panhandle was very sparsely settled. So it would be a great place to hide out. So we have Mayor Miller, and uh, Mayor Miller decided that he was going to need a law enforcement officer. So he brought in a buddy, also from the Cromwell days in Oklahoma, named Dick Herwig. Dick Herwig had a nickname. He was known as Two-Gun Dick Herwig because he walked around with two pearl-handled revolvers and always dressed to the nines. Now, I want to mention something about pearl-handled revolvers. Those of you who are World War II aficionados will remember that General George Patton wore an ivory-handled Colt revolver. And someone made the mistake of commenting on his pearl-handled revolver And General Patton was quick to correct him, him, reminding him that only pimps carried pearl-handled revolvers. So I apologize uh, on behalf of General Patton if anyone out there uh, does uh, uh, like the pearl handles, but certainly two-gun Dick Herwig was a fan of the pearl-handled revolvers. So you can draw your own conclusion. Well, he was the law enforcement officer for his buddy, Mayor Miller. And uh, Herwig also needed some help. Well, one of his friends, also from the uh, Oklahoma days, was a guy named W.J. Pope Joy, also known as Shine. Well, I wonder why he was known as Shine. Well, you guessed it, because that's what he made. And so Shine was involved in that government. He was actually known as the king of the Texas bootleggers at one time, according to one source I found. So this was the type of government uh, that Borger had at this time. Oh, I forgot to mention one thing about two-gun Dick Herwig. He had actually been convicted of murder in Oklahoma. Um, Now, there's one story I read that he had bought his way out of prison, but I hadn't been able to confirm that. Anyway, he was out of prison, obviously, uh, after his murder conviction. The other thing Herwig was known for uh, were a couple of German shepherds that he walked around with as he visited the various... Uh, indecent establishments around Borger. Now, you can bet he wasn't there to enforce the law. He was probably there to collect the checks. So let me give you a little flavor of how all this worked, um, at least on the criminal side. The uh, soiled doves, of which there were roughly a 1,000 at any one time in Borger, if you can imagine, uh, they would pay a little fine every week. Uh, Now, it was called a fine, of course, because they were disobeying the law, but then once they paid their fine, they were welcome to go back and try to make a living however they saw fit. Uh, So uh, Mr. Herwig, and consequently anyone affiliated with him, was making a little money off that illegal trade, and uh, Chief Herwig also uh, made moonshine, and he would sell that moonshine, of course, to the establishments in town. Now, do you think for one second they weren't going to buy moonshine from old two-gun Dick Herwig? So old Boogertown was blowing and going during this time. Now, you might wonder what the governor was up to during all this. Well, the governor at this time was Ma Ferguson. Now, Ma Ferguson definitely deserves her own episode. In fact, she is the wife of an impeached governor, uh, James Ferguson. I've got the trial record of his impeachment trial in my office as we speak, and that's going to be a very interesting episode, a very detailed and interesting time in Texas history, and I'm going to do it. But let's just say that for our purposes today, Ma Ferguson was uh, willing to just let boys be boys, so to speak, in that faraway town of Borger, and she wasn't going to do anything to upset the apple cart up there. Um, Well, Ma Ferguson didn't last much longer in office, and the people of Texas decided they needed a little reform, so they elected Dan Moody to the governor's office. Dan Moody was from central Texas. Uh, He had successfully fought the Ku Klux Klan in the early 1900s, which was not easy to do, and while I'm thinking about it, that in and of itself probably needs its own episode, Uh, He was elected attorney general in 1924, only 31 years old. Um, So in 1926, uh, he beat Ma Ferguson in the primary uh, for the gubernatorial nomination. Now, Texas at that time was 100% Democrat. So if you won the Democrat primary, you were going to win the election, which Dan Moody did. Now, he didn't win it. Uh, running on a platform of cleaning up these boom towns, but Borger was definitely something that was going to require his attention. So in the spring of 1927, he sent the best man he could think of up to Borger to take a little assessment of what was going on, and that man was Frank Hamer of the Texas Rangers. Now, y'all out there who are familiar with Texas history recognize the name Frank Hamer. Frank Hamer was the one that led the investigation and chase of Bonnie and Clyde and brought them to their eventual reward on a back road in Louisiana later in his career. At this time, Frank Hamer was known as one of the toughest Texas Rangers in the force. Well, I found a quote from Hamer about Borger, and he said that the worst crime ring I've seen in my 23 years as an officer exists in Borger. That quote appeared in the Austin American Statesman, so something was going to have to be done about this. One of the things that Hamer discovered was that, uh, and he wasn't the only ranger up there, there was a captain named Tom Hickman who was with him, and they discovered that it was Herwig and his officers that were some of the toughest problems to handle, not just the rowdy citizens. In any event, Hamer and Hickman went about trying to clean the town up. I was looking at the Borger paper from this time period in April of 1927, uh, there's a sub-headline, couple of headlines. One that was interesting was, Borger to be shut up tight today. And what they're talking about there is that the businesses had traditionally been open on Sunday, which was a heinous crime. In Texas at the time, we had what's called blue laws, and uh, none of the businesses were supposed to be open, especially not the saloons and gambling dens, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But, of course, they were. One of the other interesting sub-headlines is that four cops and six sheriff's deputies quit. And if you read the story, what uh, Hamer and his group were doing was running out or the corrupt officials, or at least they thought they were doing so. And they certainly did run out some corrupt officers, but uh, we'll see who replaced them. Two days later, in the Borger paper, to show you what the citizens of Borger were concerned about, one of the sub-headlines, in addition to uh, Country Club, will be built was uh, normal. no more rangers coming, Hickman says, all quiet. So things had calmed down a little bit, but the town was more interested in whether more rangers would be there or not than anything else, which tells you a little bit about the town. Now, between April and June of 1927, um, Hamer and Hickman were working hard to clean the town up. If you, if you forward to June... Um, Oh, by the way, I failed to mention that they ran the police chief off first. And this is not Herwig. This is a another individual, but he was under Herwig's control. Herwig called himself sometimes a sheriff, sometimes the chief deputy, whatever suited his fancy. But in the paper, the day the chief resigned, uh, the top headline is 500 gallons still found near Borger. Then police chief resigns. Then Mayor Miller, now that's Borger's buddy John Miller, is endorsed by 3 Ranger captains another sub, sub headline front page state rangers capture huge whiskey plant um another sub headline again telling you what the citizens were concerned about martial law no longer threats quote unquote threats city of borger so you can tell this was a tumultuous time in borger when those rangers showed up to clean it up And if you go forward to June, after a lot of their work had been done, or at least they thought it had been done, um, somebody in Austin, and this was in the paper, said that uh, the Rangers may leave Borger soon, that there was not going to be any martial law, that the city was going to be able to appoint its own police chief. Uh, The top headline under the banner of the Borger uh, Daily Herald was hands-off, state says, uh, so I'm sure the citizens were very happy, but let me tell you what else is on the front page of that paper at that time. Uh, right under hands-off, it says, Grand Jury probes killing of a driller. Uh, another story, woman po- Plots Family Death. Another story, J.A. Parker Not Charged With Killing, But Woman Hurt. Another Heading is Casing Robbery Solved by Sheriff's Deputies. Another heading, Owens Valley Defies Officers. Um, another heading, Robbers Escape After Looting Safe in the Marshal's Office of All Places. So there was still plenty going on in Borger. I'm always curious. I mean, it was such a boom town, of, uh, you were never going to get rid of all that crime. But about this time, the Rangers thought they had gotten rid of enough and they left. Borger. Now while this was going on, the legislature created a new judicial district in this area of the Panhandle, and Dan Moody appointed a man named Curtis Douglas, and he said, now look, when you get up there, you're going to have to be tough on these criminal elements, especially in Borger, and you're going to have to stay sober, which it's rumored was a problem for Mr. Douglas. Well, anyway, Mr. Douglas gets up there and immediately becomes friends with Borger and Herwig and all the police officers And all their uh, associates, uh, who, of course, no doubt, uh, didn't charge him for the many drinks he's rumored to have consumed. Um, So Moody had to get rid of him and uh, get his resignation, which he did, uh, very quickly after the appointment. And Moody was going to find somebody that was going to get up there and get it straight. So he appointed a district attorney named John Holmes. Uh, John Holmes uh, was a lawyer actually based out of Borger, but uh, a devoted family man by all accounts, and uh, he was thought that uh, he was on the straight and narrow and there was no way uh, that he was going to become corrupted by these Borger politicians who, you know, he already no doubt knew very well. Well, the criminal elements immediately went to work and discovered to their dismay that Mr. Holmes was, in fact, straight and narrow, was not going to take their bribes, and was going to prosecute. So one night while uh, the district attorney was working late, and this was actually September 13th, 1929, which coincidentally was one year to the day of his appointment as district attorney, Uh, he was getting ready for a grand jury the next day, got home about 10 o'clock, uh, pulls his car into the garage, walks outside his garage, starts to close the door, and somebody pops up with a 38 caliber pistol, we think, and shoots him five times. The killer was run off by the screams of Mr. Holmes's wife, who, by the way, saw all this happening. And Hamer and Hickman, the Rangers, uh, beat a quick path right back to border. And it was during this time they discovered that the crime had pretty much returned, and it was uh, it was during this time that Hamer uttered that quote I mentioned earlier, that Borger had the worst bit of organized crime that he had ever seen. Now, this is after he had already cleaned it up. Well, the Borger chief of police didn't like that. He called out Hamer publicly, called him a liar, because uh, this assassination of the this, this district attorney, and rightfully so, caused a huge scandal in this area of, Texas, and in fact, the whole state. This was a serious uh, matter, and so uh, the Borger police chief said Hamer's a liar. This isn't organized crime. I don't know what their defense of it was, Uh, but the newspaper even wrote an editorial uh, telling Hamer to prove it, but of course, the concern was martial law. Now, for a couple of days during this time, Hamer had disappeared, and that's when uh, the newspaper was trying to call him out What he had actually done was gone to meet with Governor Moody, and I think that meeting occurred in Dallas, and no doubt they were discussing whether martial law was necessary. Well, Governor Moody got his answer and he made his decision. He ordered a group of National Guardsmen from Dallas dressed in civilian clothes to sort of, not really secretly, but very quietly get on a train in Dallas and head west. Well, a reporter in Wichita Falls saw him, and reported that a train of National Guardsmen were headed west. The press in Austin got a hold of it, and uh, Moody, of course, had to say, yes, we sent the National Guard uh, to Borger. They made their first arrest within about two minutes of getting off the train, and that set the tone for what was fixing to happen. The MPs took to the streets. Um, The military took over City Hall. The police headquarters took over the jail. Uh, They locked every official of the town out of their office, and if they wouldn't leave, they drug them out. Every cop in Borger was forced to turn in his badge and his gun. They did the same thing in the county seat of Stenet. And being the county seat, the martial law proclamation was read on the steps of the courthouse. The general in charge, Jacob Walters, formed a military board of inquiry, and that was done to investigate the assassination of the D.A. Holmes. And within two days, they'd shut down 45 establishments of various types, houses of ill repute, uh, casinos, saloons, and hundreds of people had been arrested. Well, obviously, this wasn't going well uh, for the officials in Borger, and they wanted to know what they could do to get rid of this martial law, and General Walters said, well, it's real easy. Everybody resigns. Well, the mayor and the sheriff and everybody else dug in their heels, but eventually they came back to the General and uh, started talking about the idea of maybe resigning as long as they weren't ever prosecuted for any crime, and that deal was struck. They left, and martial law was over. Of course, the mayor, sort of like E.J. Davis locking the governor's office when he was finally kicked out of office, uh, the mayor publicly said, well, I'm just a scapegoat for Dan Moody, and I didn't do anything wrong. So he perhaps felt like at least he got the last word, but also he was out of office. And the only bad thing about the martial law, which was lifted about a month later, was that uh, nobody ever solved the murder of District Attorney John Holmes. Well, a name we haven't heard in a while in this little discussion of these martial law adventures was Ace Borger. So what happened to him? Well, Borger was never implicated, or at least expressly implicated, in any of this. He got away scot-free, at least from the National Guard. But Borger had him an enemy that he uh, probably had to have known about, and that was the county tax assessor collector, an individual named Arthur Huey. Apparently, Huey had been a depositor in Borger's bank that he opened, and the bank at some point had failed, and Huey had never gotten over it. But one day, Huey was arrested for embezzlement, and he came to Borger and asked old Ace if he'd bail him out, and apparently Borger refused to do so. Well, that made Huey fairly mad. And one day at the post office, he walked up behind Borger and said, You SOB, get your gun out. Well, when Borger turned around to draw, he discovered Huey already had his gun out, and the tax assessor fired two shots, hit Borger with both of them. Borger goes to the floor. Huey kept shooting till his gun was empty. Then he grabbed Borger's own gun and started shooting him with his own gun. Huey was alleged to have looked down and said, well, you old SOB, I got you this time. And in case you're wondering how everybody in the newly upright town of Borger felt about its founder, Asa Borger, the jury acquitted Huey of the crime. And that was the end of Asa Borger, town builder. Well, now we come to the part of the show called Getting There, where I tell you how to see some of the places mentioned in the episode. Borger is about 50 miles northeast of Amarillo, up Highway 136. And if you go up Highway 136 a little further, you'll be in the town of Stennett. Both of those towns subject to Dan Moody's martial law. And on Main Street in Borger, you'll find the Hutchinson County Historical Museum. So stop in there and get you a little flavor of the history of the area. Frank Hamer, the Great Texas Ranger, is buried in Austin Memorial Cemetery, which is at 2800 Hancock Drive. It's actually called Austin Memorial Park Cemetery. And Governor Dan Moody's grave is also in Austin at the Texas State Cemetery. And I always encourage all the listeners of this program to go through the Texas State Cemetery because you will learn a lot of Texas history just walking through there. It's a beautiful, peaceful place. I want to say one more thing about that cemetery. We lost this week a good friend of mine and a former governor of the state of Texas, Mark White. Uh, The date this episode is being released is August 8th, and Governor White's funeral will be in Houston tomorrow the 9th. He'll be buried in the state cemetery August the 10th. We were in a lunch club together in Houston, and we might have been on the opposite side of some political issues, but he was a good governor for Texas. He loved the state of Texas, and I want to dedicate this episode To former Governor Mark White. Well, that wraps it up for this episode of Wise About Texas. I hope that you will follow the show on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter at Wise About Texas. We're on Instagram at Wise About Texas. I want to thank you. We're well over 115,000 downloads of this program. It's been a busy summer uh, for downloading. I'm really appreciative of that. I'm uh, always amazed at how many of y'all are listening, and I hope that you'll continue to provide me some feedback on the episodes that I've done and give me some more ideas for episodes you want to hear. I've got a good list going and uh, we're going to have to keep this podcast going a long time to get to all of your stories, but that's my goal. I want to keep doing it. I love doing it. I love traveling around this state and I love hearing your stories. So tell the, tell a friend about Wise About Texas and leave a review on iTunes. If you get a minute, that helps other people find the show. Well, I hope your summer wraps up successfully I hope you'll go out and do something for Texas today. And until next time, God bless Texas and we'll see you down the road.